You remember that horrible moment in, in, in school when you realized the teacher was calling on people to answer questions and, and asking you to get up and, and recite the translation or something and you realized you weren't ready? And so what did you do? You tried to get small, right? <laughs> you tried to slink in behind the person in front of you. Uh, you put your head down. You didn't make eye contact with a, with a professor or the teacher. You know, you just, you didn't do anything with your hand that would look like you were raising your hand for fear that they would call on you. Of course, a good professor or a good, uh, good teacher knows how to spot that and calls on you first. But you remember that awful moment of trying to get small, of being scared to death that somebody will call on you. We're going to read a story today about the day that Peter and John got called on. And we're going to deal with the fear that most of us have of the world calling on us. It's not that the world is that big. It's not that the world is that bad. It's just that now in these times, the church is afraid of being called on. And so we're trying to get small. But what happens when the church calls and we answer? That's what Acts 3 is about. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for a time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried there. And he was placed each day at the temple at the gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for money. And Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, Look at us. And so the man turned to Peter and John, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then taking him by the hand, he raised him up, and once his feet, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate. And so they were filled with awe and astonishment at all that had happened to him. I do not have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Stand up and walk. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it believe it, and live. Let's pray together. In those moments when the world looks at us, when the world expects something from us, give us the boldness to share of what we know of you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> this is one of those passages that, well, when I was working on it this week, I realized there are about six sermons in this passage. And, and I couldn't decide on which one I wanted to preach. So I'm going to preach all six of them. <laughs> and just let you pick the one that applies to you. 
and then you can take that home. One, the first thing I want you to notice is this was a habit. This was a habit of this man. He was always taken to the same spot by his friends. He was there at the gate as people went into the temple because he, he thought that people would feel more obligated to give as they were going into church. If they wanted to say something nice to God, if they wanted God to feel good about them, then they would be more apt to give. Or if they had a great time of worship, then they would come out celebrating and they would give. He had scoped down things. He knew this was the place I want to be. This is the place to, to be when people are going to be and they're most generous and he can do okay. Peter and John were showing up too. It was their habit. In those days, the early church was still meeting in the temple. So Peter and John showed up to pray. They came to worship. They came to pray. It was in those everyday kind of moments when Peter and John were showing up just like they always do. This was their habit. The ministry that they provided to the man came out of the overflow of Christ working in them. It happened because they prayed. It happened because they studied Scripture. It happened because Christ was always working in them, and the ministry they shared came out of the overflow. When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what comes out? Toothpaste, if that's what's inside. <coughs> when the world squeezes you, when the world squeezes me, what comes out? Whatever's inside. And if you have been spending the time in prayer, if you've been spending time in the study of Scripture, if you've been spending time letting Christ do His work in you, then when the world squeezes you, what comes out is Jesus Christ. So in this moment, when the man looked at them, what they responded with was, was what they had, Jesus Christ. Now, interesting. Peter, the same guy who didn't want to talk to a teenage girl when Jesus had been arrested. Remember that? Denied Jesus three times. This same Peter now was demanding that this man look at him. Know who I am. Know what's going on. And the man did look, and he expected something, and he expected money. Most of the time, we think if we give somebody more money, that it'll make them happy. That if we can just provide more funding, that it will solve the problem. You know, we've been studying poverty long enough to know now that a lot of what we do to help people in poverty actually hurts them, actually keeps them in the cycle, keeps them in the position, keeps them beat down. Because the, the, the helping that we want to bring actually hurts them. And so we have experts and people who have given their life to serving the poor going, no, we need this kind of help. We need your time. We need a relationship. We don't necessarily need money. And did you notice the answer? 
the answer was Jesus. What we do have, we give to you. I know a lot of you hear us talk about uh, gospel conversations and talking to your friends and your neighbors about their relationship uh, with Jesus Christ and how you can talk to them, and you're always afraid somebody's going to ask you a question that you can't answer. Uh, they're going to ask you about why there's evil in the world. They're going to ask you about how creation started. They're going to ask you uh, about the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and you're going to be stuck. Now, I love apologetics. I love debating philosophy. I love debating theology. I have a ton of fun with that, and we've got all kinds of resources to help you if you do get stuck with somebody who wants to ask those questions. But hear me, most of the time, it's not the questions we can't answer that bother us. It's the questions we should be able to answer and don't. Questions like, what difference does Jesus really make in your life? Tell me, if I become a Christ follower, what's going to happen? What's going to be different? How are you different as a husband? because Christ is in your life? How is your marriage different because Christ is in your life? How are you different as a parent because Christ is in your life? How are you different as a friend because Christ is in your life? What difference does it really make in your life, day in and day out, that you are a follower of Christ? And the answer for most of us is we don't have an answer. We would not tell this man to look at us. We would walk by him and try to get small, scared to death that the world would ask. Now, does the world have the right to ask us? Does the world have the right to look at the church and ask these kind of questions? Yes. Why? Because we have told them we have the answer. And so they look at us expecting something and get the same old, same old. I tell you all the time, the world isn't mad at us because we're different. The world is mad at us because we're not different enough. How did you overcome that moment in your life when you thought your life was over? People want to know because a lot of your friends are traumatized. They've been abandoned by a dad, they've been hurt by a mom, they've been wrecked by a failed marriage, their job didn't work out, and they want to know, can Jesus help me get past this point in my life where everything blew up? Can Jesus really make a difference? See, it's not the questions we can't answer that bother us. It's the questions we should be able to answer but can't. And they offered this man his dignity. It's what the gospel does. The gospel gives you and me as human beings, as individuals, dignity. The world robs us of that. The the world takes all of that away. But it's the gospel that gives you your dignity. This is who you are. This is your identity. In a world that tells you you can be anybody or anything you want to be. And that doesn't help, does it? That doesn't help. No, the church says, this is who you're created to be. This is who you are. 
This is your name. You were created in the image of God. You are a bearer of the Imago Dei, the image of God. You carry that with you. And when somebody strikes against you, they sin not because they strike against you, but because they strike against the image you bear. Christ died for you. Don't you ever let anybody tell you you're not worth anything because Jesus has showed you on the cross exactly how much you're worth. And in the name of Jesus, don't let anybody beat you down. Stand up. Stand up. It's what the world wants. They look to us. Do you have anything to offer? And the gospel of Jesus Christ gives the world gives the sinner back their dignity as a person. Did you notice how fast the man went from standing to dancing? I know as Baptists we don't want to read that last part. But in one verse he's standing, the next verse he's jumping and leaping, the next verse he's running, and the next verse he's dancing in the temple. There is nothing so powerful as a life changed by Jesus Christ. There's nothing so powerful as a testimony that says, this is who I was, this is when I met Jesus, this is who I am now, and this is who I am becoming. This is where I was, this is what Jesus is doing, and this is who I am becoming. There is nothing as powerful as a changed life. So the world looks, expects something, and gets the same old, same old. Anytime you read a passage like this, people want to know about the miracle part of it. Do you believe that happened, Mike? Yes. Do you believe it still happens? Yes. Why don't we see more of it now? Why don't we have prayer meetings like that now? Honestly? Because you and I are way too full of ourselves to give Jesus the chance to work like that now. We think it's up to us. We think it's up to us in our power and our strength, our wisdom, our insight, our plans. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself, pick your cross up, and come. You need to die to yourself and then come. You need to be less of you and more of Christ. Most of us, me included, are way too full of ourselves for there to be enough Jesus to do now what happened then. You see, Peter was wrecked. You remember the end of John? He was wrecked. He had denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. 
he goes back to fishing. He goes back to his life before Jesus. He gives up. He quits. After the resurrection, Jesus tells the women to tell Peter, I'm looking for him. And he finds him on the shore of Galilee. Ask him not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, do you love me? And he restores Peter. But that same Peter that denied Jesus is not the same Peter that's telling this man to stand up and walk. The only thing Peter lived for now was to not let Jesus down again because Peter knew it wasn't about him. The world is asking questions only Jesus can answer. Questions about identity. Who am I? Questions of purpose. Why am I here? Questions of value. Do I matter? Those are Jesus' questions. Now notice what I said. These are questions only Jesus can answer. Not you. Not me. Only Jesus. So the world looks for us and expects something. So this week, when the world looks to you, what do they get? Do they get the power that raised Jesus from the dead? Or do they get the same old, same old? It's not the questions we can't answer that bother us the questions that we should be able to answer and don't. Let's pray together. I'm not going to put you on the spot. I'm not going to embarrass you. You know, I don't do that. But I do want you thinking about your life. You know, the old evangelist used to say that the most ripe field for evangelistic harvest is the pew of any local Baptist church. because there are a lot of people in the church who know about Jesus but don't know Jesus and there's a world of difference. Amen. So I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want you feeling bad but I want you to answer this question. Do you know Jesus for yourself? Or do you just know about him? If you're uncomfortable right now in realizing that you just know about him, don't leave with that question hanging in your mind. Our friends are standing out at a table that says next steps. Our ministers are out there, our counselors are out there. They want to pick up this conversation right where you right now. Just go say, say, I'm not sure. I don't know. I want to know today and let us walk you through that process so that you can know Jesus Christ for yourself. Perhaps it's to come be part of Brentwood Baptist Church. You come. We'd welcome you into the fellowship. However the Lord is speaking to you now, he is waiting for you right where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the decisions we make are exactly what you want.